Back on the Suncoast Morning Magazine, coming up on uh, 9.35 the time. And uh, our Mickey, Cherished Memories of an American Icon, is a new book about one of the most fascinating characters ever to play baseball, Mickey Mantle, published by Triumph Books, through dozens of personal stories from the likes of uh, Yogi Berra, Whitey Ford, Stan Musial, uh, Sandy Koufax, Willie Mays, and uh, Billy Crystal, David Halberstam, Dan Rather, and others. Uh, our Mickey provides individual glimpses into the life, personality, and the character of Mickey Mantle. Joining us on the program this morning is one of the authors of Our Mickey, Maury Allen, a nationally known sports writer and author with more than 30 books about baseball to his credit, including bestsellers on Joe DiMaggio and Casey Stengel. He began his writing career working for small newspapers, moved to Sports Illustrated magazine, and has been a baseball expert and columnist for the New York Post for almost 30 years. Mickey Mantle was always the most exciting personality he covered, both on and off the field. Maury, thanks for spending a few minutes with us today. How are you? Fine. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah, great. I grew up in New York, uh, Long Island, just a little bit after uh, Mickey retired from baseball. But just from uh, reading about him and seeing the many interviews and film clips of his career, he struck me as both kind of a heroic and a tragic figure. Is that how you saw him? That's pretty fair uh, estimate of Mickey. Of course, uh, his playing career was always hampered by his injuries and, you know, a little uh, too much drinking. But he did achieve an awful lot, and he was incredibly popular and charismatic player and uh, uh, the second part of his life after his playing career ended uh, again had some ups and downs but always exciting always interesting and as a writer always fun to be around yeah he had uh, uh, Mickey's restaurant in New York which I think is still in business I, I believe and, yes, and, and not only in business but uh, the co-author is the owner of it oh great okay we're going to get to him yeah yeah you had a co-author with the book and and you, you saw Mickey a lot on television, you know, even after he retired. Of course, the old-timers day uh, games, uh, he, he came back for that, and it really stayed in the public eye. But uh, as you mentioned, you know, he had, uh, he had a difficult uh, personal life, uh, grew up. Uh, I think most of the men in his family died young. Isn't that what? Uh... Yeah, his father died uh, just before his 40th birthday, and, of course, that was, Mickey was only 20 years old. That was a tremendous uh, trauma to him. And it really did impact on uh, Mickey's own life and the way he looked at things. He had an uncle that died young. Uh, so he really lived hard with the idea that he wasn't going to live very long. And uh, He did live to the age of 63. He was 63 when he died in uh, 1995. But two of his own sons died before they were 40 years old. So that really is a star-crossed family, the Mantle family. And uh, it really had a tremendous psychological and emotional impact on, on the way Mickey went about his life and uh, went about his career. Didn't Mickey almost quit um, quit playing baseball? He was struggling down in the minors or whatever one time and he yeah, went back. What happened in his very first year, he was so highly touted in the uh, spring training of 1951 when Joe DiMaggio was still uh, with the Yankees in his, his last year. Mickey came up. He was the opening day right fielder. DiMaggio playing center field, of course, and about a month, month and a half into the season, he began striking out at a really uh, enormous rate, and Casey Stengel, the manager, realized Mickey was in over his head, and the emotion of playing in New York, playing next to the Maggio, getting all that attention was really too much to him. They sent him to Kansas City, and Mickey's father drove up from uh, Oklahoma to Kansas City, and Mickey said, uh, I'm quitting, I can't do this, and uh, you know, these guys are too good for me, and his father said, quit if you want, but then you'll work in the mines with me. His father was a zinc miner, and of course, uh, Mickey uh, thought a little more about it, realized baseball was an easier life, and got himself together, played well in Kansas City, and then uh, was brought up again to the Yankees about a month later. 
Now, I know Mickey Mantle, and um, what was his relationship with Willie Mays? I mean, did they have a friendship at all? Did they, I mean, because they always compared those two as two of the greatest center fielders back at the time. Right, Willie, Mickey, and the Duke was the three big center fielders uh, in New York in the time in the 50s. Uh, Willie Mays, uh, uh, Mickey Mantle, Duke Snyder with the Dodgers. And uh, there was a friendly competition. Of course, uh, Willie was internationally, Mickey and American, so there wasn't a lot of uh, comparison, and they didn't play against each other except for uh, uh, World Series in 51, uh, and again in 62. Uh, but uh, uh, they really went their separate ways, but uh, years later, uh, Willie really, uh, Mickey really later uh, said that Willie Mays was the best baseball player that he, Mickey, had ever seen, and uh, he said when you talk about Willie, Mickey, and the Duke, there's really only one leader among the three of us, and that's uh, Willie Mays. I think both Willie's statistics and the way he played the game and the fact that he was still pretty uh, competitive and pretty successful at the end of his career, while Mickey was really struggling the last uh, four or five years of uh, Mickey's career. Now, do you think that had a lot to do with his alcoholism and the other things that were going on? I think the alcoholism uh, was a sort of a two-part uh, uh, jolt to Mickey. One was the family situation, which we talked about, and the second was this incredible, enormous pressure that was on him to be not only this great star, but this uh, uh, popular figure. He was the big rock star of his day before there were rock stars, and he would walk to, out in the street out of Yankee Stadium, and thousands of kids would be there screaming his name. He'd go to a Manhattan restaurant, and kids would, and adults would be screaming his name, and wherever he appeared on the road with the Yankees, and I was traveling with them in those days, he'd, he'd walk into a hotel lobby, and uh, uh, all these beautiful women would be chasing <laughs> after him. So uh, uh, even though it's fun, at the same time, it is an enormous amount of pressure to try to live up to that uh, standing, and that was a real difficult thing for Mickey to deal with. Talking with Maury Allen, the name of the book is Our Mickey, Cherished Memories of an American Icon. And uh, you talk about uh, Mickey Mantle. He put up remarkable numbers despite the countless injuries. And uh, he, he really hurt his knees so early in his career. I guess it was even kind of coming over and Joe DiMaggio called him off a, a fly ball in center field and he tore up his knee on the drain pipe out there. But he had incredible speed, didn't he, when he came up? He had incredible speed uh, as a youngster. Uh, even though he was uh, injured as a high school football player and had osteomyelitis, which was a uh, uh, an injury to his lower calf, and uh, in the spring training of 1951, his first spring training with the Yankees, he was timed at uh, less than 3.5 seconds getting down to first base, and nobody had ever seen that kind of explosive speed. But as you pointed out, in that very first World Series of 51, on a ball hit by, of all people, a rookie by the name of Willie Mays, mm. uh, he was running over to try to catch the ball. The Maggio called him off the ball. The Maggio caught it. Mickey tried to slow up, and his, his uh, uh, shoe got caught in a uh, drain pipe out in the center field, and he damaged his knee. And even though he could run better than um, most players of his time, he never again really had that incredible, explosive, dramatic, uh, speed that he had uh, in that spring training and through the early part of uh, 1951. So he was a good base runner, but never a great base runner. And also as a home run hitter, he really didn't try to steal too many bases. And I think uh, had he run more, uh, he would have set every record for a guy with uh, that kind of power. I mean, he could have stolen 50, 60, 70 bases oh, yeah. every year. 
In interviews later in his life, uh, you saw a lot of that on television, where he, he talked a lot about regrets and you know, how he felt he could have been, you know, better player, better, better husband, better father, and all that. Uh, can you shed some light on that inner turmoil that he kept going through later in his I life? I think there was a lot of uh, psychological uh, trauma that was going on in Mickey's life. Uh, you know, almost till the day he died, he regretted. You know how he was. Uh, he'd really become an alcoholic, and he had to go to. Uh, shadow of DiMaggio? Yeah, I think that was a factor only in the uh, early part of his career, maybe the year or two after DiMaggio retired, but by 1953-54, he really was his own man, and of course, a couple of years later, in 1956, he had the greatest season that he ever had, and maybe one of the greatest in baseball history, when he won the Triple Crown, and he threatened a home run record, and then he was quite a mature player, and quite comfortable in 1961, when uh, Roger Maris and Mickey really electrified the country with the home run race, and of course, uh, uh, Mickey was injured at the end of that year. Roger went on to hit the 61 home runs. Mickey wound up with uh, 54. But what Mickey lost in not winning the record, he gained in the attention and affection of all of the fans. And I think from that time on, from 1961 until his death in 1995, he was in the uh, top five Got a couple of minutes left, more I wanted to ask you. You've covered his career, both as a player and his life since retiring from the game. Uh, what are some of the things in the book that might surprise the readers? Maybe they haven't heard before. I think the thing that surprised the readers is the reaction of all these famous people that we uh, talked to about Mickey Mantle, non-baseball people like uh, Henry Kissinger and Donald Trump and uh, Dan Rather, Regis Philbin, Billy Crystal, uh, Teresa Wright, who happened to play... Uh, oh, Lou Gehrig's wife. Right. <laughs> the uh, Friday of the Yankees. I mean, these were all people that ran into Mickey one way or another. You know, he was a New York celebrity. Every time he came to a dinner, there'd be famous people around him. And they themselves were in awe of Mickey Mantle. He was just a giant figure, and they all tell these wonderful, intimate stories about uh, meeting Mickey and having their memories uh, uh, connected with him, and it was just a, 
Uh, what we try to do is the first time, I think, uh, you know, in any kind of uh, uh, sports book was get off the sports uh, avenue and really go in a different direction. And when you hear a guy like Billy Crystal or, or uh, uh, former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger or millionaire, billionaire Donald Trump talking about Mickey Mantle, that's a different experience oh, than yeah. Yogi or Whitey talk about him. That's right. Well, the name of the book is Our Mickey, Cherished Memories of an American Icon. We've been talking to uh, Maury Allen, and Maury, uh, just a personal note, I've enjoyed your uh, writing sports when I lived up in New York, and I can still get the post down here, so uh, I, I can still keep up with you. Thank you, thank you for joining us today.